is a message from one of our Sunday celebrations. And you can find out more about Jubilee by visiting our website at www.jubilee.org.uk. Right. Um, we've been working through um, a series called Encountering Jesus. We're working our way through the gospel according to Luke. And uh, we're at chapter 14. So if you have a Bible, it really, would uh, be really good if you can just turn to Luke chapter 14. Uh, if you haven't, I'm going to read it, so that's okay, don't worry too much. But we are going to refer to it as we go through. And uh, it ought to be headed at the tale of two parties, because that's really what this chapter is about. I'm not a Dickens fan, by the way. That's, there's, there's no kind of clever references or anything like that to follow. But I just think it should be called uh, the tale of two parties, because that's really what it's about um, and it follows, uh, I'm, I'm just going to pick on something Graham spoke about uh, a, a little earlier in the meeting, which was this, uh, Graham, Graham spoke to us about how the temple was God's dwelling place uh, in Jerusalem. It was, it was what uh, made the city so special and wonderful. God dwelt there, the spirit came, we've been singing about a day when the spirit came, the temple's filled, the priests are overwhelmed, uh, and Jesus has... He's, he's gradually been moving towards his crucifixion and resurrection. And, and Luke is kind of building the tension. It kind of ratchets up as we go through the gospel. So uh, we've, we've already thought about the occasion when um, Peter, Jesus says to the disciples, who do you say I am? Peter says, you're the Messiah. Uh, and at that point, Jesus starts to teach them about, about his death and resurrection. Is that, is that me? I, I can hear bells. <laughs> He starts to teach him about his death and resurrection. He starts to teach him about the coming of the kingdom. Um, John spoke uh, a few weeks ago about the Lord's Prayer where he teaches us to pray, your kingdom come. He begins to explain that the kingdom is here. If I cast out demons by the finger of God, then the kingdom of God has come to you. Uh, Matt spoke to us the other week really well about choices that you make, choices for living this life or or choices for uh, living for the kingdom life. Uh, And Jesus is, is kind of building up towards this time that he faces in Jerusalem, and he comes to Jerusalem and he laments over her. And I find this, for me, this has always been one of the most moving passages of Scripture at the end of um, Luke 13, as we have it here, as he weeps over this city that has been where the house of God has been for so long. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who stone the prophets and kill those sent to you, how I've longed to gather you together as a hen gathers her chicks beneath her wings, but you were not willing. Look, your house is left to you desolate. The temple is going to be emptied because God is no longer going to be living in the temple. He is going to fill his people. The prophecy given to Joel in the last days, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. That's coming. Forty years after Jesus spoke these words, the temple was destroyed. It isn't there anymore. There is one wall of the temple left where, where the Jews will gather and pray. But this time is coming. Jesus is looking ahead and seeing a time when God's dwelling place is no longer going to be in the temple. And the Jews are no longer going to be the, the people with whom God has exclusive covenant relationship. It's all changing. And in that context, he comes to a party thrown by a Pharisee. It's a, it's a banquet. Are you having a banquet today? Are you having a party today? Good on you. Okay. 
Well, there might be some things to learn. There might be some things to avoid. At this party that Jesus... We all love a good party, don't we? Jesus seems to go to lots of, lots of banquets. Uh, and he's there on a Sabbath. He goes to dine at the house of a ruler of the Pharisees. And they were watching him carefully. Because uh, they didn't much like him, really. He, he was threatening the establishment. And behold, there was a man before him who had dropsy, which is some kind of accumulation of fluids. I, I read that, so I don't want to go any further. Um, I, I, I barely made it through your story last week. <laughs> uh, so, yes, yeah, so he's ill. So Jesus responded to the lawyers and the Pharisees saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent. And then he took him and healed him and sent him away. And he said to them, which of you having a son or an ox that has fallen into a well on a Sabbath day will not immediately pull him out? And they couldn't reply to these things. See, there is tension between Jesus and the religious leaders of, of his day. And that kind of winding him up. Now, I don't want to suggest that, you know, Jesus gets wound up in quite the same way that we do. Um, you know, when the download isn't happening quick enough for us or, or someone scores a last-minute goal and it's the wrong team. That, you know, he doesn't get, but he does, he does get angry about stuff and he's getting angry with the Pharisees because they've just made so many laws and rules that get in the way of relationship with God. And, and so he sees a man who's ill and he thinks the heart of God is to heal this man but the Pharisees don't really think you ought to do that because that counts as work. That's just bizarre, isn't it? But it's work. So he says to them, look, if you had a son who fell into a well, would you not pull him out on the Sabbath because it's work? Would you say to him, well, son, I'm really sorry you did that, but, you know, till six in the morning, I'm afraid that's where you are. I've got three children... I've been tempted, but no. <laughs> Anyone in their right mind would pull their child out. Jesus heals the sick on the Sabbath. There's no question as to whether or not Jesus heals the sick. Uh, nobody kind of argues with that. Even you know, historians of his day, when they're writing about him, they, they, he healed the sick. That's what he did. The Pharisees aren't kind of saying, can he or can't he? It's will he or won't he? And Jesus does. But there's this tension. So he kind of, this is not the easiest of parties to be at. Have you been at parties like that? Have you been, have you been at parties with a subtext? You know, you go out for a meal and there's a couple and there's clearly something not quite right and you can kind of sense the tension. Things get... Oh. Have I wisely been switched off? James is preempting any example I might choose to give. I, I have nothing to say about you and Naomi at House Group. <laughs> so this tension is going on. All right, so he tells a parable to those who are invited when he noticed how they chose the places of honour. Now, this doesn't happen very often, does it? Because in, 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 we don't, kind of don't have these kind of formalities. Or, or, well, we do in our house. We have a dinner table in our house. I sit at the head of the table. Too right. It's something to do with my Mr. Bennett complex, but I sit at that. <laughs> I just love Pride and Prejudice. I just I imagine myself as a modern day Mr. Bennett. He, he he had five daughters. I had three. 
Uh, he had a library. I have a Kindle. <laughs> he had Mrs. Bennett. I don't know. <laughs> There's a head of the. T- I sit the head of the table, but. He, you know, it, when, you, when you watch those kind of old films, there's definitely where you sit, determ- you know, it's determined by how important you are. Okay, so that's the kind of situation Jesus is in. Uh, I'm just warning you, if you are invited around our house for dinner, don't sit at the head of the table, that's my seat. Uh, he's, he's seen this going on and he says, when you're invited to someone, uh, sorry, when you're invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in a place of honour lest someone more distinguished than you be, in, uh, be invited by him. And he invites you both, will come and say to you, give your place to this person. And then you will begin with shame to take the lowest place. But when you're invited, go and sit in the lowest place. So that when your host comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher. Then you will be honoured in the presence of all who sit at table with you. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled and he who humbles himself will be exalted. There's the party that he's at where he's watching this going on. And there's the party that he's thinking of where this will happen. He's sitting at the home of a Pharisee. He's watching people come in and think, well, they're kind of looking around, they're gauging, yeah, I think I should be up here. And he's thinking ahead to a great celebration that will happen when the kingdom comes in all its fullness and God's people will be given places of honour according to how they have served him and how they have lived for him. And he's saying Christians should be humble in this world and then God will exalt them in, in eternal life. That's verse 11. This is future looking. He's not talking about this is what's going to happen in this party or the next party you go to because people have just heard what I've said. He's talking about what is going to happen when we arrive in heaven. The humble will be exalted. And Jesus himself models that. At some point this morning, it might even have been Penny, I can't remember. We've referenced when Jesus says, come to me all who are heavy but laden and heavy, yeah? Because he says, because I'm humble. I am humble. In fact, when Paul writes about Jesus, he says, even though he was God, he made himself nothing. He humbled himself to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has exalted him to the highest place. When, when, is it Micah in the Old Testament, asks the question, what is it that God requires of you? He says the answer is this, to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly before your God. You see, now this is countercultural, isn't it? Because we, we kind of live in a society where everybody wants to be centre stage. I watched Britain's Got Talent last night. I think that's hilarious. I, I love watching Britain's Got Talent. But it is this kind of mentality of... I want to be important, I want to be on TV, I want to be famous, I want to, I want to play great concerts, and we want to be centre stage. God says, well, if you're centre stage here in this life, that is its own reward, and it will end. But if you humble yourself, and you serve others, and you consider their needs before yours, and you become like Jesus, then God will exalt you in eternal life. There's the party we're at and there's the party that's coming. Where's our focus? 
And he said to him also, when you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or your rich neighbours. Sorry about that, you two. <laughs> Lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. You will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. Now, I want to pause here because the great temptation is to go on and read the parable and pretend that Jesus didn't actually say this bit. What we're really interested in is the parable that follows. Actually, this bit's really important. God has a heart for the poor. When was the last time you had someone around your house for a meal who would not be able to repay you in the same way? When was the last time you took someone out to McDonald's or Frankie and Benny's or Harvest or wherever it is you go and gave them a meal knowing they would never be able to buy you one in return? And if that makes you feel a bit uncomfortable, that's okay. I think Jesus intends us to be uncomfortable about those kinds of questions. I think the guy that Jesus is talking to would have felt uncomfortable. But let's not excuse ourselves away from this really important truth. God loves the poor. And he calls us to minister to them and to serve them. In fact, one of Jesus' brothers, James, when he's writing his letter, he says this, What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warm and filled, without giving them the things they need for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it doesn't have works, is dead. In Matthew 25, Jesus tells a parable where he separates out the sheep and the goats. And he says to one group of people, you're the people who fed me when I was hungry, clothed me when I was naked, visited me when I was in prison. When did we do that? Every time you did it for anyone. Well, these are my brothers. You did it for me. There is a gospel call to serve the poor. And I, I, would be, I can be really controversial because it's me, so you can take it or leave it. I would suggest to you a church that doesn't actively reach out to the poor is not fulfilling the whole gospel call of Jesus. We need to be doing it. And I don't just mean we need to be putting money in the Christian aid envelope when it comes through your door this week. Good though that is, I'm not telling you not to do that. But we need to be reaching the poor. This is a real challenge to a rich man. Why don't you invite people who will never invite you back? If your reason for not doing that is you don't know any, come and see me afterwards. I'll introduce you to a few. Okay, so one of them reclines at the table with him. And when he heard these things, he said, Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. And uh, I, I think this guy didn't quite know what he was letting himself in for. But, you know, he might be one of those people who just wants to say something and appear to be very clever. Um, but Jesus responds to him, A man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, Come, everything is now ready. But they all began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a field 
and I must go out and see it. Because you'd do that, wouldn't you? you? You would buy a field without first looking at it to see if it was what you wanted, or the price was right, or whether it was fertile. Or for, you know. You'd buy a house without first walking around it, you know. Yeah, I've got this house. Someone told me it was in quite good condition. So, you know, I just laid out £180,000. But I can't come to your party because I really need to go and check the house. Another says, uh, I've bought five yoke of oxen and I'm going to examine them. Because, again, that's the kind of thing you do, isn't it? Who's bought a new car just based on the picture in the paper rather than taking it for a test drive or getting the AA out to have a look at it to see if... or your brother-in-law who's a mechanic, to give you his... You, know, you, just, you wouldn't do that, would you? This is crazy. Another said, I've married a wife and therefore I cannot come. <laughs> Enough said. <laughs> so the servant came and reported these things to his master, and the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, go out quickly to the streets and the lanes of the city and bring in the poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame. And the servant said, Sir, what you have commanded has been done, and there's still room. And the master said to the servant, Go out to the highways and the hedges and compel people to come in, that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. This is Jesus getting very political with the Pharisees. Because they would have understood that this great banquet refers to the great celebration that's coming when the kingdom comes in all its fullness. They were invited. Theirs was the covenant with Abraham. 2,000 years of covenant history with God. The promise of a coming kingdom, they were looking forward to it. They had prophecies about it. They were asking the question, is Jesus the one who will bring it? And yet when the final invitation arrives, when Jesus comes and says, the kingdom of God is with you now, they said, we don't much want to be part of that, thank you. I'm busy. I've got other priorities. So Jesus turns to the Gentiles. This is a great story of the New Testament. The church took ages to work this out. There were arguments and divisions, and it just took them a long time to get their heads around it. But God is saying, I'm inviting everybody into the kingdom. That's why their house is left to them desolate. That's why Jesus laments over Jerusalem. The final rejection, the final invitation is the coming of Jesus and they have said, we're busy. I've got other things. No, thank you very much. Good news. We get invited because they said no. We get invited. You see, Paul says to People like you and I who have no Jewish ancestry, we were aliens and strangers to the covenants and promises of God, but we have been brought in to his family. We've been invited to the party. You have the opportunity to say, I'm saying no to the party of this world and yes to the banquet that will come in the kingdom of God. You're invited. They don't much like that. But he goes on to tell them, But this is not all that it might seem to be. Great crowds accompany him. And he turned to them and said, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come uh, after me 
cannot be my disciple. For which of you, desiring to build a tower, does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he's laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all those who see it will begin to mock him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. I used to be a surveyor. I used to, I'd survey everything from uh, brand new hospitals to little kitchen extensions. I know loads of people who started to build who couldn't afford to finish. They're, they're, you know, we had amusing uh, things that we would write in the files of people who for years and years and years made no progress with their extensions because they set out on something and then they couldn't afford to do it. It does stick in your head. You do notice those kinds of things. Or what king going out to encounter another king at war will not sit down first and deliberate whether he's able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000. And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So therefore, any of you who does not renounce all he has cannot be my disciple. There is a great party coming, but there's also a great cost to pay. See, Jesus is really clear. If you want to know God, you have to be prepared to give up everything else that you have. Now, we kind of struggle with that idea because that's, that's not the way our minds work. Uh, our, our minds are conditioned by the idea that we should have everything we want right now and we should feel great about everything, even car insurance. Brian saved money on his car insurance and now he feels epic. Cue the Magnum Music. There's even an advert on TV at the moment for shampoo that makes washing your hair sound like the best sex Hollywood has to offer. I'm tempted to grow my hair just to try it. We want it now. We want everything to make us feel fantastic. We want it now. We want to buy now and pay later. Well, (laughs) you might. There are people who are buying now who will pay later. Jesus says, no, I want you to focus on eternal things. Because we know none of that stuff actually satisfies us. None of that stuff, in the long run, none of that stuff makes us feel any better about ourselves. It works for a moment, you know, for an instant bit of retail therapy. I'm not immune to a bit of retail therapy. You feel good for a few minutes or for as long as the jacket lasts or whatever it might be. But it's not eternal. It doesn't last. And Jesus is desperate for people who are not so concerned with the party now as with laying up treasures in heaven. One of the choices that Matt spoke to us about the other week. Why store up treasures now? You might die tonight. Store up treasures in heaven where they'll last forever. Why do you want to build for the now? You can't add an hour to your life. You can't cause another hair in your head to grow. What good is that? What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? What really matters here? Now, that's not to say that Jesus will turn around to you if you decide to follow him and say, right, you've got to sell everything, give your money to the poor. But he has said it to someone for whom that was the big obstacle. I'm not saying that life with God is not good. It's fantastic. In fact, a Pharisee who had all this stuff that the guy holding the party did and more was really highly regarded in his generation turns around and said, I count 
everything that I had as rubbish compared to the surpassing knowledge of knowing Jesus, surpassing greatness of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. That is of eternal value. And it benefits you in the here and now, it does. But the great reward is in the party to come. And Jesus challenges us about what we prioritize and what we put first. Which party are you living for? The party of the here and now or the party of God's kingdom to come? Where are you building? Who are you serving? And then he has a great warning. And this, this phrase um, that we find at the end of the chapter is in a slightly different context, I think, from where we find it elsewhere in the Gospels. Salt is good, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is of no use either for the soil or the manure pile. It's thrown away. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Jesus is speaking that in the context of saying to the Jewish people, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, your house is left to your desolate. You have said no to the invitation. It's been extended to people you would never have dreamed would be invited to the party. You were meant to be my witness to the nations. And you've rejected me. We have to be really careful about that personally. But I think this, when Jesus speaks it here, I think there's a corporate application for the Jewish people, the people of Israel. You were meant to be salt in the world. You were meant to be light in the world. And yet you have rejected God when he has come. What good are you now? Now, I'm not saying that there aren't Jews who will be saved. There are. There are Jews turning to Jesus. I believe there will be a huge turning of Jews to Jesus before he returns again. But as a nation, it's gone. The covenant has come to anyone who puts their trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of their sins. In his, in his crucifixion and his resurrection, he announces there's a party coming. Which party do you want to be part of? And just reflects on the challenge that Kevin's brought to us. Which party do you want to be part of? Lord Jesus, we thank you for the invitation that you have given us. Thank you for the invitation that you've given us to follow you, to be part of that great party that you're planning. Lord, thank you for the opportunity we have of responding to you. We thank you for your love. We thank you for the grace that we find in Jesus. We thank you that by trusting in him, we find sin forgiven and new life come to us. Thank you, Lord, for your love. Thank you, Lord, for your grace, which was so undeserved. And we thank you for the new life that we find in you. God, we pray you'd go with us now, be uh, upon us and with us in every conversation, every circumstance we find ourselves in. Would we uh, live for you and honour you in every situation? We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, God bless you. Thank you so much for being with us this morning. Uh, There's tea and uh, coffee.
and uh, some cakes or donuts of some description, I think, outside in the foyer. So please don't feel you've got to rush off. Please do stay with us to enjoy that. Uh, thank you for being with us. We do hope to see you next week once again, Sunday morning here at 10 o'clock. God bless you. Thanks for listening to this Jubilee Church podcast. Feel free to check out our website at www.jubilee.org.uk and come along on any Sunday morning.